Mom, can I have some ice cream now? Yes, you can. great <laughs> if uh, you're joining us online this morning uh, welcome good to have you here I, I want to let you know what's happening in the room there are hundred and forty junior hires hundred and forty two junior hires who are all going to camp is that right I mean you all don't even fit in the pews look at this this is great um, I would love a t-shirt at some point. So, um, but uh, hey, uh, make the most of camp. God has something for you this week. Don't miss it. I'm so glad that you're going, and I can't wait to hear what God does in and through this next week. So well done going to, uh, to camp, junior high. A couple weeks ago, my family and I were out traveling, and we had the privilege of spending a night in a hotel. We checked in, they told us breakfast was included. So the next morning, we get up and we go down to breakfast, and this was an impressive breakfast spread. In fact, I checked with the staff a few times. I went back, I was like, is this, this is all included, right? Like, this is just like whatever. And they were like, yeah, it's, it's all included, whatever you want. And so I went to our kids, I said, guys, this is all for us, make the most of it. Because I was thinking, if they eat enough, I don't have to buy lunch. Right? <laughs> Our Heavenly Father has given to you and me an impressive spread. God's given to us a great gift. And that gift is the church. One of the concerns that I have is that many believers in the Western world don't make the most of the gift that God has given to us. And we don't understand the power, the potential, the, the gift that is the church. And so because of that, we miss out on what God has for us, and we fail to understand who we really are. And so that's why we're doing this series, Make the Most of It. For the next month, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, learning about how we can make the most of the church. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open up to Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to use one of the blue Bibles that we provide for you here at uh, Wooddale, you can find that on page 1778. And uh, as you're turning there, let me just uh, let you know what's happening. So for the first three weeks, we're going to be actually just in the first 16 verses of Ephesians chapter 4. And then at the end of our series on week 4, the end of this month, uh, a friend of mine is coming to speak with us. His name is Justin Brierly. Uh, Justin is out of the United Kingdom. I met him when I was on sabbatical last summer. And Justin is a cultural apologist. He has spent most of his ministry career engaging with people who are atheists and giving them reasons to, to find faith in Jesus Christ. He's also a podcaster and an author. And Justin has just come out with a new book, or it, it lands um, in, um, uh, it, it, it comes out in September. And uh, the name of that book is The Surprising Rebirth of the Belief in God. And in that book, Justin has a message for the church because he's noticing that people are finding that atheism is leaving them with a lot of questions. 
and they're curious about things of, of spiritual nature, and, and they're more open to God maybe than ever, and, and Justin has a message for how we as the church can recapture them for Christ. Uh, when Justin's here at the end of the month, a few days prior, on Wednesday, August 23rd, at 7 p.m. here at our Eden Prairie campus in the Great Room, Justin's also going to be holding a session helping those of us that know someone who is deconstructing their faith uh, find reconstruction in their faith. And so I hope you'll be able to join us on that Wednesday evening event uh, as well as the last Sunday of this month for uh, Justin being here. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus this in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. He writes, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Up to this point in this letter, Paul has spent the first three chapters giving for them uh, what it means to have new life in Christ. And he's been unpacking that and, and laying some theological foundations, really giving them a lot of principles uh, that, that we hold to be true. And now in verse 4, he makes a transition. Now he's moving from principle into practical guidance about how then we live our lives, what we do as a result of this new life that we have been given, how we uh, make the most of what God has given to us and live a life worthy of the calling we have received. And the first thing he turns his attention to is the church. Here's what he says in verse two. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It is difficult for us to overstate how radical these words were when they were first read to that church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus was made up of Jewish and Gentile believers. For those that were, were Jewish believers, before they came to faith in Jesus Christ, they had spent their lives avoiding Gentiles. That was part of how they showed their devotion to God. They didn't associate with anyone who was, who was gonna make them unclean. And now, Paul's saying that in Christ, they are to be together with the Gentiles as one. That's pretty radical. And then for the Gentile believers, they had spent their whole lives before they met Jesus as pagans, which means they didn't worship one god, they worshiped all sorts of gods and goddesses. And they would kind of float from temple to temple and like whatever they needed that day, they would, that's where they would go. But there was never any concept of being united to one God or ever coming together in unity or in one congregation. That was just a foreign concept. And now they're saying, hey, you are now one in Christ. And just as radical as these words were then, they are still radical for us today. Because this call to be one in Jesus, to be one together, to be part of the church, the body of Christ. When I say church, I don't just mean Wooddale Church. I mean the corporate church, capital C, anybody who's a believer in Jesus Christ. That to be part of that church is a radical call, and it's radical because it challenges our own cultural mindset. We are living today in an increasingly secular world. And so our mindset has increasingly become secular in our culture. In fact, there, there's a, a term that is often used to describe the culture of today, and it's this term expressive individualism. Now, that sounds like a big philosophical term, and, and it is, but let me explain what it is. And as I explain what it is, you're going to start seeing this everywhere in our culture. 
And I'm really grateful for some authors who have helped me to understand this term, people like James K.A. Smith or Carl Truman. Uh, Robert Bella wrote several decades ago some research that laid the foundation for this. And if you're familiar with the philosopher Charles Taylor, he refers to this as the age of authenticity. All of that is what we're gonna unpack here. Now, if you wanna take notes, uh, I would encourage you to, to draw with me because it's easier to visualize this than to just explain it. So what we're gonna do is expressive individualism starts with the individual at the center. So if you wanna draw a picture of a person, um, you can put them kind of right here in the middle and um, that is because in our culture, the individual is what matters most. Uh, I'm gonna give my guy some hair here because you know it's a self-portrait. And the individual is right there in the center. And what our culture wants to do is, is it says that the individual needs to be free to find their own sense of identity. And that identity comes from within them, not external from them. And so because of that, our culture wants to put a barrier around the individual to protect the individual from any external force that might try to influence or impose an identity upon an individual. And that's why our culture is really leery of any sort of objective morality. That's why our culture has a tendency to be really uncomfortable with things like religion. And that's why increasingly our culture is also really cautious about any sort of family expectations that might be imposed upon the individual. The idea is that the individual needs to be free because truth is found inside of each and every person and that if you can just find your own truth, that you do you type of mentality, if you can find your own truth, you can find your own sense of identity, then once you find it, you now need to express it, that's the expressive individualism, you need to express it out there. And that once you've expressed it, now you can find meaning and purpose and value and everything's gonna be right because you found your truth and you're expressing it. And then once that happens, our culture says that then everyone else in society is now obligated to receive and affirm whatever identity is expressed. And if there's anyone who calls into question any of the expressions that happen, that person is, is, is quite dramatically canceled by our culture. And those of us that have more of a biblical worldview, we, we look at, at this secular mind or, or this expressive individualism, and oftentimes we get really uptight and caught up into kind of these moments in culture or, or maybe some of these type of canceling moments in culture. And at times, I'm even seeing Christians kind of wring their hands and get really worried about what's going on and really upset. And there might be a reason for that, but let me just explain to you that the reason that this is happening is because our culture is desperate to try to figure out their own sense of identity. And the reason that these attacks are so prominent and there's so much energy behind them is because people are fearing that, that they won't be able to discover who they really are. And while the flashpoints that we're seeing in our culture are profound and dramatic, and we can see them kind of everywhere in culture, I just wanna share with you, this is nothing new. The, the sense of wrestling about who we are and where is truth is a wrestling that, that has gone on all the way since the Garden of Eden. Because if you go back to the Garden of Eden, God said, I will be your source of truth. 
external from you is humanity. I will be your truth. I will give to you identity. You are made in my image, which means your job, your identity, your purpose is to be my image in the world around you. So in order to understand your identity, you need to understand me. That's how it was set up. And God said, because of that, you're now free to eat from any tree in this garden. Enjoy what I have created. The only thing I ask of you is do not eat from this tree because it's the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, that's reserved for me to define truth. And of course, you know the story that if if you know the story, that was the one tree we said we want that fruit. Because we don't want to trust God for our sense of identity, for our sense of truth. We want to be our source of truth. And so we took the fruit and we took a bite of that fruit. And the moment we bit into it, it caused this separation between us and God. And when that separation happened, there became a burden that you and I are now suffering with. And it's this wrestle about where is our source and sense of truth going to come from? And God said, the reason that you're suffering with that, the reason that you're you're heavy burdened is because you're not trusting me. And so God has been in loving pursuit to bring us back into a right relationship with him ever since. But our secular culture hears that story and they say, no, hold on, the the issue is not that we bit into the fruit. The secular mind says the issue is that we didn't eat enough of the fruit. That you need to eat the whole thing. That you need to get rid of the image of God completely, that there is no God, there is no source of external truth, that truth is all relative and it's all within me. And once that happens, says the secular mind, then everyone's free to be their own truth and finally then will achieve a rest and a peace and the world will be as it should be. And my question to that is, how's that going? You know what's happening? There's so many people who are so desperate for their own sense of identity. Listen, they're struggling with with mental health issues. That's that's one of the reasons that we see depression and anxiety reaching all-time highs. Folks, we should be compassionate to our culture. They are longing to know who they are. And in the midst of that desperation, they're trying anything and everything, but they're never going to find it because it's not in here. That's why loneliness is reaching an all-time high for people. Because when, when you're isolated as an individual to try to find your own sense of truth, that is very lonely. And God said, that is not who you were created to be. Who you were created to be was you were made in my image, which means you were made to be like me. Did you know that God exists in community? The the Trinity is is our understanding of God, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity, have always existed. That it wasn't like the second and third person of the Trinity uh, at one point showed up. They've always existed, which means God himself has always lived in community. And so we, being made in his image, were made to also be in community. Part of our sense of identity, our meaning, our value, our significance, it comes when we're in a God-honoring community. And what Paul is telling us in this passage of Scripture is every person of the Trinity is involved in creating the Christian community of the church. 
Look at verse four, he, he, he lists all, all persons of the Trinity. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, that's Jesus, second person of the Trinity. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That every aspect of the Trinity creates for us this community that we have the opportunity to step into when we accept Jesus. When we say yes to Jesus, we become part of that community, not only that communes with God himself, but communes with one another. To summarize it, here's what Paul is saying. Here's his argument. He says that there's one Father who creates one family. That is the church. Which means that's our sense of identity. That if you accept Jesus, here's what God says is true now about you. You are his son. You are his daughter. You are part of his family. And there is nothing that you can ever do or anyone can ever do to you that will remove you from being part of his family. It's who you are. It's that sense of identity. And you are brought into that family, not by your own effort and your own individual pursuit. You are brought into that new standing, that that family relationship, only through one Lord. That's why there's one faith in Jesus Christ. There's one hope in him, and there's one baptism. This isn't like a whole variety of different ways to get to God and multiple paths and choose your own adventure. There's one, and it's Jesus. And when we step into that relationship, when we trust Jesus to restore us to God, we receive a baptism. And that baptism there isn't just referring to water baptism, it's specifically referring to baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because when you accept Jesus, The spirit of the triune God comes and becomes resident in your life. And so that one spirit of God in us creates one unified body. That's what we step into when we accept Jesus. That one unified body means that's how close you are to God himself. You are his body. I want you to think about your body for just a moment. How close do you feel to your body? When I was experiencing some issues with my foot uh, several months ago, uh, I found out that I have a, a, a nerve that has become thickened in my foot. And so it just caused all this pain. So every time I was running or walking, it was just like a shooting pain that was going through my foot. And, and it was so painful, I eventually went, went to the doctor to see, see something about it, to try to stop the pain. And when I walked into the doctor, here's what I did not do. I did not walk in and say, hey, doctor, I just need to let you know that there's a foot that's attached to my body, and that foot is experiencing some pain. Can you do something for that foot? I didn't say that. I walked into the doctor, and I said, doctor, I'm in pain. Can you help me? Because the foot is me. It's my body. It's not a separate entity that kind of hangs out with me. It's me. It's part of my body. Paul is saying that's true for you and for me. That when we're part of Christ's body, that's how Jesus feels about you and me. He doesn't see us as some independent individual that's accepted his free gift of salvation, and eventually he'll just let you into heaven after you die, but you're not really connected or you're not really that close 
Jesus says that when, when you accepted him into your life, his spirit comes into your life and you become, like the other parts, part of the body of Jesus. That's pretty incredible. And what's amazing is that in that, we don't lose our individual nature. I mean, just like the parts of our body. Right? I mean, think about the foot for a minute. The foot is so unique, it has its own doctor. Right? So the doctor I went to was a podiatrist, which, by the way, made me feel old, because I, like, I have a podiatrist now, right? <laughs> But you go to the podiatrist because the foot is so complicated, it's so unique, and yet, it's part of the body. It's me. That's us. That even though you're so unique, Jesus says, you are so close to me, you are part of my very body. And some of us may, may go, yeah, but listen, I, like, I don't feel that close to Jesus. Like when I'm involved in things at church or I hang out with Christians, like, I don't know, I just, I don't feel like I'm part of Jesus' body, I don't feel that close to him. And if that's true, then can I just suggest to you that perhaps it's because we're not making the most of the body that Jesus has given to us. That we're not understanding what is true about who we are. So there are two profound implications that this passage of scripture has for us about how we are to engage. The first is that we grow personally when we engage communally. Just like your body. Your body, the parts of your body don't grow independent of your body. It's not like you could separate your hands and your feet and they would continue to grow if they weren't connected to the body. They only grow when they're part of the body. The same is true for us spiritually. You may be able to grow a little bit spiritually on your own, but you will never grow spiritually to maturity if you're not connected and involved in the body of Christ. You won't because you're separated from the thing that's gonna help you grow. What you need is you need other people in your life to help you grow. And part of that comes from the sense that we often are not aware of our own areas of growth that are needed independent of other people. Despite our own focus on individuality, we actually just don't know ourselves that well. And, and actually, our body kind of speaks to that. Think about your eye for a minute. Your eye is amazing. And the eye can see so many things. It's just, it's, it's, it's amazing what it can do and what it can see. But there's one thing the eye can never see. And that's the eye. The eye can never see itself. The eye cannot see the eye. It can see a reflection of the eye, it can see a picture of itself, but it can never see itself independent of something else. Can I suggest to you we're the same way? The eye cannot see the eye. When we're around other people, we realize some of the areas in which we need to grow. Hey, that's why Paul says in, in verse 2, he tells us that we are to be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. You know, the reality is if you're by yourself, you probably don't have to be all that humble, all that gentle, and all that patient with yourself. But when you're around other people, oh, you really need to grow in those areas. Like, I, I thought I was a pretty patient guy. And then I got married. And then after a few years of marriage, I was like, I think I'm growing impatient. I think I kind of got this thing figured out. Then we started having kids. 
After a few years of parenting, I was like, okay, now I think I'm growing in patience. And then I started to work at the church. more you're around other people and you're relationally connected with them, you realize, ooh, I need to grow in humility. I need to grow in gentleness. I need to grow in patience. And when we realize that, let let me ask you, where does that growth come from? Do you you just kind of reach within yourself and and you pull up the, the humility that's always been there or the gentleness that's always been there? No. It's God's spirit that changes you to be more like Jesus. That's where the humility comes from. That's where the gentleness comes from. Right? That, that's, that's where the patience comes from. That's why when we're around other people, it helps us to grow. And some of the, the most profound moments of spiritual growth in my own life have come not when I grew in those things, but when someone showed me patience, when someone showed me gentleness, and when someone showed me humility when I didn't deserve it. And when we experience that from a fellow believer, where did they learn those things? Not from within themselves, but from God's spirit himself. See, oftentimes, Jesus gives to us what we need to grow spiritually through the people that make up his body. It's how God chooses to work. So when we're not around other people, when we're not engaged relationally close enough with other fellow believers where that growth can happen, we just don't grow spiritually. So if you want a way to remember this, here it is. It's that spiritual growth requires a who or two. That you need a who or two in your life in order to grow spiritually. That if you show up to church, you kind of come in and and come out of service or, or, or you're just very casually involved or no one really knows you, you're not gonna be able to grow to the degree that God wants you to grow, spiritually speaking. Which leads us to the second thing that we learned from this passage, and that is we must end our casual attitude toward church. Expressive individualism isn't just something that's out there in culture for those who don't believe in Jesus. It's something that has affected each and every one of us. Because these are the cultural waters in which we swim. That's why we need to be invested in the church to learn a new way of thinking, to to absorb a different worldview, to be changed and to be transformed, to be more like Jesus and less like the world around us. That expressive individualism affects all of us and when it does and it creeps into our attitude toward church, Here's what happens, we start viewing church from a very me-centric standpoint. That we kind of become consumeristic about church. And at times, there are some people in the church that can view the church more like we view our relationship with a retailer. Right, almost every week, I'm, I'm at Target, or you know, somebody from our family's at Target multiple times a week, right? Sometimes online, sometimes in person, but we're kind of getting stuff that we need at Target. And then every now and then we we need to like stock up on some bigger things so we'll go a Costco run. And and then if we can't find it at Costco and we can't get it at at Target, maybe we'll order it on Amazon. And then if if we don't have time for Amazon and we can't find it at Costco and and it's not at Target, maybe if all else fails, we'll show up to Walmart. (laughs) It's what I think I need and how I choose to engage. And there are some of us who have that same attitude about the local church. 
And it's going to prevent us from making the most of what God wants to do in and through his church. Here's the reality about this. The church is not a building that you attend. It is a body that you are part of. Church is not a building you attend. It's a body that you're part of, which means you can never go to church. Did you know that? You can't ever go to church. Next Sunday, if you wake up and you're like, I think we're going to go to church today, you are saying something that is not possible. Now, what you mean by that is what you mean is, as I'm going to go to a church service, that's what, you, that's what we mean when we say that, but you can't go to church. Do you know why? You are the church. The church is you. It's me. It's the people. It's not the building. It's not the organization. It's the people that that come together that are united in Jesus Christ. That's the church, which means wherever you go as a follower of Jesus, that's where the church is. Folks, we have to see ourselves the way God sees us because it's our identity, it's our significance, our meaning, our value all comes from, from us coming into agreement with what God says is true about us. And listen, when when we embrace that image, when we become the church, we become committed to being the church, it gives the world an image of what they long for but have not been able to discover because they'll never find it on their own. See, our world longs for somehow there to be this, this, this diverse unity that could happen in society. Where where there's all this individualism and all this diversity, but yet somehow we're unified and and our culture is is desperate for that. You see that in in how we try to legislate things or how we try to educate things. Our culture is seeking to find that diverse unity everywhere and, and the culture will never be able to find it in and of itself because expressive individualism by definition will prevent it from happening. But the church, is unified in its diversity in Jesus Christ. It's what brings us together. Jesus is the great unifier. He's unified us back to our relationship with God and he unifies us to one another without us losing our diversity. Here's what's so amazing about the church. If you were to, if you were to get on a plane right now and head to Vietnam, that is a very different government system, it's a very different political system, it's a very different culture, the language is different, the food is different, almost everything is different. And yet if you find a believer in that country, and I've I've been there, I've had this experience, and, and through a translator you're able to communicate within a few minutes, you will understand this person is my brother and my sister in Jesus Christ. And you would be amazed at how similar you view the world. Because Jesus has brought us together to make us one. And I am convinced that if we as God's people will live out that vision with more commitment, with more intensity, with valuing that's who we are, I'm convinced of this, the church can transform our culture. Because we can show people what they long for and what they're desperate for and what they are searching for. And that is their identity in Jesus Christ. Folks, that should compel us to have such great compassion on those who are seeking after identity and to help continually to point them back to Jesus. And we can show them that by how we live our lives and how we commit ourselves to one another. 
It was Jesus himself who said, they will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. So how do we make the most of the church? Paul tells us in verse three, he says, make every effort. And as soon as I say make every effort, some of you are like, okay, here it comes. Now's the guilting about not being in church often enough. And that is not where I'm going with this. Do you know why I'm not going there? Because if it's all about human effort of me trying harder, we're not gonna get anywhere. That's not the Christian life, by the way. The Christian life of following Jesus is not trying harder to be the person that Jesus has called us to be, it's trusting Jesus to change and to transform us. So when I say make every effort, I'm not talking about human effort that's driven by guilt. I'm talking about making every spiritual effort of opening yourself up to Jesus. So here's the difference, here's what that looks like. When I say make every spiritual effort, what I'm saying is, is I believe that we need to ask God two primary questions because the Spirit of God is within each and every one of us who've accepted Jesus. So it's simply pausing and saying, God, what do you wanna say to me about this truth? What is it you wanna say to me? What do you want me to hear? And then second question, God, what do you want me to do? And it's amazing how consistent God will be in telling us the steps that we need to take to more fully embrace the church that he's given to us. There are a group of individuals here at Wooddale that several years ago asked those questions. God, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? And that led them to take some steps to be part of a group here at Wooddale. And committing to that group and doing life together has transformed their spiritual lives. And I want you to hear their story. Please draw your attention to the screen. When we were going to church, we were, there was like this disconnect and I felt like like, this is, I want more. And like life group gave us more. Like this was, we are connected to the body of Christ. I needed to make a change because I was stalled out. And I knew that in order for my husband and I to grow together, we had to find other people to grow with. I, I just think, for Brent and I, it was just that really need for community and fellowship. Um, it just felt like it was really missing for us, and um, it certainly filled that void for us. We celebrate with each other and we mourn with each other and cry with each other, so it's, that's something that we really cherish about this group. Once we got into our life group, we started to serve together, which was even um, just brought even more of a sense of community, not just our group, but serving others in the community. 
And that's been really special for, for me, especially. And if we didn't have that community that we could feel, that we could trust their faith to give us godly advice, um, I don't know where we would be as a couple for Tom and I. Anywhere we look in the building, we're finding people that we know are our people. You know, that we can go, oh, this is such a bad day. I just really need to talk to you or I need a hug. Um, but because we're taking the church outside of the church, because we are in the church too, to step outside of it and to serve other people, I feel like we do more than we would do on our own. Mm, we encourage each really other really to step awesome. forward and do more good works than mm -hmm. it's harder to do for yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as an introvert, I will tell you that I absolutely need this group of people in my life and they bring things out in me that nobody else can bring out in me. They uh, are there and such a support. And uh, I know that this is a place where I'm safe and I'm loved and I'm not judged and I can be uh, who God created me to be. You need prayer. You have to have people praying for you when you have good times and bad times. And that's what happens here. We pray for each other. It's what we do, you know? I can't imagine doing life without this group. You may have noticed Pastor Brian is part of that group because just serving as a pastor doesn't exempt you from your need to be in community. God has given to us the church and every single one of us need to make the most of it. And God's gonna call each and every one of us to a different step in how we take seriously this gift that he's given to us. Just a moment, we're gonna pray and ask God to speak to us and you may hear from the Lord that you just didn't understand enough of church. That this is all like brand new information for you and you might just need to commit yourself to understand what this whole church thing is even about. What's it look like to be committed? For others of you, you, you may be convicted by God or he may be nudging you that you need to get more invested, that you need to commit yourself to a group of believers. And if that's a step that he gives to you, this connection guide that we've provided for you, and for those of you that are online, that we have a, a digital version of this, is, is a great place to start. Here at the Eden Prairie campus, we have tables that are out in the common space, and in just, just a moment, we're gonna break, and, and you're gonna have an opportunity to stop by some of those tables and learn about different ways that you can get connected and be more invested in the gift that God's given to us. For others of you, you're doing all those things. But there's a relationship with another believer in your life that's become strained. And if you're honest, you haven't showed humility or gentleness or patience. And God may be inviting you to go make that relationship right because it's robbing a sense of the unity that God has given to each one of us. So now it's time for us to hear from the Lord what he would have for us to know and to do. So Father, we humble ourselves before you. And Father, we confess to you that often our view of the church has not fully been aligned with your vision of the church. Father, we confess that to you and ask that you would change us and shape us and help us to understand this incredible gift that you've given to us.
And so, Father, we ask boldly in the name of Jesus, what would you have to say to us about your church? Father, for those who have experienced hurts within the church, Lord, help them to know that that was never your design, and that's not who you are. And Father, then we ask, what would you have us do? Father, I pray that you would give to us the courage to be obedient to whatever your spirit is saying to us that we need to do to make the most of the church that you have given to us. And we ask all of this in the powerful and the precious name of Jesus. Amen.